Hey, everybody, and welcome to Western New York Brews, Buffalo's Beer and Brewing Podcast. This is episode 50. My name is Scott. I'm a home brewer just outside of Buffalo, New York. I'm a member of the Das Hasbrauer Homebrew Club. And on this episode, I'm talking to John Domries from Buffalo Brewing Company, owner, proprietor, bartender, uh, head brewer, chief bottle washer, keg filler. And he was nice enough to invite me to come in during their renovation, just at the end of the renovation, as everything was in before the beer had started flowing again, to talk about the Buffalo Brewing Company, its history, and the brand new renovation on Myrtle Avenue. You should check them out. We are a member of the Hopped Up Network, a podcast network of quality beer-related content. Find more at hoppedupnetwork.com. And I'll see you on the other side of the theme. All right. Once again, my name is Scott and welcome to West New York Brews. I want to encourage you, please, if you haven't already, to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It helps other people find it. I want to read you one of those reviews and anytime we get a new one, I'll read you that. This one is from Jazzy Jesse 24 on December 21st. Five star rating. It says great podcast on all aspects of the beer industry. And I will read any review, even if it's not a five-star review. So if you're leaving a review, let me know. Or if you know what, if it's not five-star, actually give me an email, scott at wnybrews.com. Of course, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and youtube.com forward slash wnybrews. So let's get right into the interview with John Domries from Buffalo Brewing Company. So we're standing here in the tap room. Uh, so let's take it all the way back to the beginning. I want to talk about some things sure. in here. Like when did you start? When did you open? So my wife and I purchased the building leap year day, 2014. Um, and it was basically a shell where we're standing right now was mountains of garbage and other miscellaneous items. Um, we officially opened, uh, to our Kickstarter backers, July 29th, 2016. So, so do you know what the building was before you bought it? Uh, I know the building's history all the way back to the beginning. So it awesome. was built uh, as a horse foundry, so they would make horseshoes here. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the front where the garage door is, that went all the way to Myrtle Avenue, which was originally named Folsom. So okay. the building was shortened in 63 um, to get it off so that because basically it was creating a blind corner. Um, so it was only a horse foundry, a horseshoe foundry from uh, eight, we think about 1890 till about 1930. When you know automobiles finally really took over, and then the Listella family, um, Listella Bleach Company actually ah. um, was manufacturing Italian bleach, which I never knew existed. <laughs> yeah. So if you were an Italian, you couldn't buy uh, you know WeChex bleach; you had to buy uh, right. no self-respecting Italian bleach. And uh, the bleach tanks were actually because uh, the the great grandson lives. Right around the corner from here. Oh, cool. And the bleach tanks were pretty much from the safe to the uh, the fridge here. Um, and they manufactured bleach. And then after that, uh, when his... Uh, and he was actually born on the property, too. I should state that there was uh, a house to the back and a house to the uh, side here that the family had lived on or lived in. And he was born, actually, in the house on Spring, the Spring Street address. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then after that, it became an automobile shop. And then when we got it, the last thing it was, it was a collision repair place. Um, you know, from what I was told from the neighborhood, it was a, one of the, a shadier, <laughs> a shadier collision repair place. But nice. there was a, uh, 
where the fermenters are behind our taps, there was a um, there was a Ford Festiva, a 1992 Ford Festiva. Nice. Um, when, you, when you bought the place? When I bought the place, yeah. It was actually more of a pain in the ass than it was worth because uh, trying to find someone that would get a car out of here without a title was rather ah. interesting. So um, my wife and I, with uh, family help, we, you know, we worked on the place for about a year and a half, a little longer to get it up to up to where it is now and we did most of the work ourselves other than plumbing and electrical and the concrete too we not a concrete guy <laughs> yeah and it looks great in here yeah i mean i think uh so so when we opened uh when we opened in 2016 where my office is now that was the cooler uh-huh. so a lot of people you know we we listened and listened and listened and then uh we signed a deal with Try It last April, which really changed uh, the nature of our business from, you know, a uh, mom and pop kind of little brewery to, oh, you're the smallest production brewery in Try It's portfolio. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and Try It is like, hey, by the way, we would love more beer than yeah. 12 kegs a week. That would be fantastic. So uh, we took a lot of feedback from our customers, you know, no seats, no seats, no seats, no seats. Um and we added seats and we moved the cooler outside. Um, we moved a lot of things outside to kind of make this environment, I think, better, a better customer experience. Yeah. Now you have a place to sit. Now you have a place to sit at a bar. Um, we encourage you to bring food in, pizza, wings, chefs is right around the corner, which is great. We've seen right. that, um, you know, and it's been nice to see uh, the guys that have been with us from day one. And actually I hired one of those guys that came in on our first day and he's now a bartender, but, um, the people that have been with us from the start, it's really cool to see their, how we've kind of metamorphed into this. Wow. Now you're like a, and and they say this to my face without even thinking (laughs) twice, but now you're like a real brewery. You're not like a home brewery anymore. And I say, well, we, I mean, most home brewers don't make two barrels at a time, you know? Yeah. So, so then the Kickstarter campaign, I don't know if I've heard of that anywhere else in Buffalo. Kickstarted yourself a, a brewery, kind well, of. Well, we copied a friend of mine, Ethan Cox. Uh, oh, I didn't realize so they crowdfunded too. We he crowd he was the he community beer works. You know that's the the second most common comment. Other you know from from phase one was a you don't have enough seats. B man, this feels like a and I if anyone from community beer works was. Is listening. I I mean this with they don't a listen. ton of love. They don't listen. Okay, if they don't listen, but <laughs> oh, this is like a nicer community beer works. And I say, oh, okay. I mean, so when community launched in 2011, that was kind of like the the eye opener for me because I was always thinking you need to be resurgence, big ditch, flying buys, and you need to be yeah. this huge brewery. And then they're like, no, we can make really kick ass beer on a barrel and a half system and survive. And not only have they survived, they've thrived. And right. A lot different mentality here, I think, than Community Beer Works. You know, this is, uh, as my wife would say, the one-man show. Right. Uh, the greatest one-man show uh, in Buffalo. But we kick-started, and that was intentional. It wasn't – I probably didn't need to do it, but it was yeah. something to get the community involved. And our backers are some of the best people in the world. I mean, they, they support us through thick and thin. They come in all the time. You know, the ones that live here, at least, are here a lot. Yeah. Um, and when you talk to them about, hey, why did you back us? Why are you a backer? We believed in what you were saying. We believed in your message. We believed in what you're trying to do. Sure, anyone could go get an investor and open up a big place. That'd be fine. Right. But you're doing it by yourself. You're bootstrapping this thing. You're the owner. You're actually the guy brewing. And when we opened, I ran the tasting room and brewed both 
full time. And now, you know, with the demands of try it, it's kind of changed our schedule a bit. But, you know, we have Lane and Derek and uh, those guys are home brewers, which is nice because they actually will talk shop with you. And, and the right. goal going forward is to get those guys more involved in the process as well. So they can say, yeah, I helped filter this beer. I kegged this beer. I nice. you know, brewed a bit. Like, you know, for Lane, I know he was over the moon about brewing his own beer here, which was cool. And I mean, yeah. as a home brewer, I remember brewing at Flying Bison for the first time. And I was like, holy shit, this is so <laughs> cool. I'm making 80 barrels of beer right now. And I can't even, you know, and I remember going home. I remember the night before I couldn't even sleep because I was so excited. And then, then you really find out. Man, making beer sucks this big. Like <laughs> my five gallon mash tun takes four seconds. I'm standing here on a ninety degree day, hoeing out this twenty barrel mash tun, sweating right. my, you know, my you know what off, and it's crazy. So, you know, the journey here has been long and it's been hard, and it's not over because you know making beer is a very hard thing. But it's like I tell my customers all the time: I own this place one hundred percent. And I told Triad, if there's ever an issue with a keg, I'm to blame. It's not my seller person because I'm, I'm that. It's right. not, you know, if there's a tr- problem on your invoice, that's my fault because I do that. <laughs> if there's an issue with, you know, the carbonation level, that's my fault. If there's diacetyl in the beer, that's my fault. You know, right. everything is my fault. And that, but that's the way I want it. I don't want to. And at the end of the day, I'm the investor. I'm the owner. And I'm really proud to say that. And I'm really proud of how far we've come. And I think, you know, for me, the best is yet to come still. That's awesome. The beers that you have up here, which ones did you start with? The, uh, the Vienna Lager and the Porter are my oldest recipes. Right. Cool. Oh, and the Pale Ale. I'm sorry. The American Pale Ale. That's, those are my three oldest recipes. Okay. And then everything else, with the exception of obviously the cider, um, those are just kind of changing times. Uh, it's weird because people ask me, when did you start homebrewing? And I started homebrewing in September of 2006. Okay. It's not that long ago. In it's the not that long thing, ago in the scheme of home brewing, but in the huh? scheme of the American beer landscape, it's a decade ago. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you when I started home brewing, IPA was nothing. I right. mean, it wasn't it wasn't what it is today. So when I started home brewing, my biggest influence for me was Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. I mean, okay. that was like the beer that I could just straight up drink all day, every day. And then the other beer was the Vienna Lager or right, like Sam, Sam Adams, Adams Boston Lager. Those were the two big beers. Then you'd get excited yeah. cuz Sam Adams was going to roll out Oktoberfest it's like and Winter Lager and those were and celebrations, Sierra Nevada celebration. I mean, right. those were beers that I mean, I still remember going to bars and seeing two beers on tap, three beers on tap. Yeah. I mean, and you talk to these kids that come in here that are 21, 22 years old <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, oh, you only got 12 beers on tap, you know." <laughs> Thin Man's got 80. And I'm like, well, dude, I remember when this was the ghetto and you wouldn't even come down here. Yeah. And the closest bar around here had Blue, Blue Light, Bud, Bud Light, and Coors. And that was like a huge beer selection. And maybe yep. you could go to Alternative Brews and get something good back then. That was your your stop. But, yeah. you know, back to the question. Yeah, the three. And then basically it's – I mean, I, ho- I stopped homebrewing when we bought the building because that really just – my time was devoted to getting this thing off the ground. So where that, you know, trying to explain to my wife, hey, let's go work twelve hours at the brewery, and then I'm gonna yeah. brew on our one day off this week. I'm gonna go home brew. Yeah, you know, I would basically get the death face, like you know, you're gonna, you're gonna die, dude. Like I'm gonna kill you in your sleep. Right. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll stop home brewing. Yeah, and uh, but I was, I was drinking beer that was, uh, you know, making me want to brew these types of beers yeah so like a lot of people find it fascinating but while i was building this place 
I was frequenting three spots. So G McCarthy's okay. was one. Hydraulic Hearth was another. Yeah. Hydraulic Hearth was more of my office. And then right. there was this little this little alcove in downtown Buffalo, which has metamorphed into a, a monstrosity called Big Ditch. Okay. And a lot of people don't remember <laughs> the original little growler fill station at Big Ditch, uh-huh. which was just simply like a little side alcove with like a four-tap kegerator. Right. And they would fill growlers there. So I remember going there three or four times, and Matt would be actually there pouring beer. And it was like, wait a minute, you're going to have a restaurant? Like... You're not just going to do that. And, I, right. and so now it's it's totally transformed. But those are like my three little spots. And Pearl Street occasionally, you know, I mean, for me, it was just really hydraulic and McCarthy. So, well, you're right here, too. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, hey, do you want to come down and hang out at my freezing cold, uninsulated, <laughs> unheated brewery? Or do you want to go meet, you know, like meeting architect all the time at hydraulic because his office is right across the street? Yeah. So I'm drinking community's beer at hydraulic right. and being influenced by it not even knowing that I was. So like when I started brewing, I'm, I'm of German descent. So that was really the driver for me enjoying brewing. Um, you know, Bohemian Pilsners, Vienna Lagers, Rausch yeah. beer, Schwartz beers, you know, all, I mean, I, I have a stack of recipes at home of German style beers, but rolling those out, that's not what the public really wants at the end of the day. Yeah. So you see there's three IPAs up there. And there's two more that are the first two coming online when we when we turn the system on. So it's just it's driven me to this IPA. <laughs> now, when I started brewing like 10 years ago, I never even heard of a sour beer. You know, I've had yeah. I had a sour beer, but I never even heard of it. So I'm like really a lagger in, in sours. And so it's starting to. And people people want community has spoiled people because they just <laughs> jam so many beers out. Yeah. And it's like. Yeah, on a barrel and a half, that's fine. On a two barrel, it was fine. But now I'm on a five barrel, and it's like, holy crap! How am I going to jam all these beers out that they want you to jam out? And it's where are you going to find time? So, what we do is I, I do a lot of math and a lot of science to figure out, and then it takes time. 1901 IPA that we're on batch five now. Yeah, the fifth variation. You know, we we played with hops, we played with malt, we played with yeast. It was filtered. It was unfiltered. You know, what are we doing? And and at the end of the day, you have to think you can't think about it coming out of here. You have to think about it going 100 miles away through distribution. And how is it going to hold yeah. up there? So that's where it's now it's a filtered West Coast IPA. That's what we landed on. At first, yeah. it was a New England style. Then it went. But the hops and the malt all kind of stayed the same. It just kind of metamorphed a little bit. So, um, you know, it's kind of like we're still playing. But the three original recipes, you know, the Vienna and the Porter are unchanged. They have never changed since I homebrewed. They've awesome. stayed the same. So, so then, looking around here, are you going to talk about my first explosion? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm curious about the explosion right above you there. So, uh, yeah, that was a fun time. Um, <laughs> so back, uh, right at the beginning, though, right? <laughs> this was St. Patrick, our first St. Patrick's first Day St. last Patrick's year, Day. and uh, we brew a really kick-ass Irish Red, uh, which will be pushed into widespread distribution this year. And um, I did two Firkins for the same, for the parades because remember we had the the basketball tournament here last year, yeah, yeah. So that kind of screwed the parade. So I made two Firkins, and I decided uh, I tried a different method than I used to when I was a home brewer with my pin, and I put some fermenting beer in a Firkin. Well, as you can see on my ceiling, there's a, a East Kent Golding box <laughs> um, that had exploded. So I went to go uh, push the spile through. Tapped in. Oh, man, this is great. All right. 
I'm going to, you know, go do, I, mean, I think I went in the bathroom to maybe mop the floor before we open. Right. And I walk back out and there's a beer geyser in my tasting room. Uh. And then I go over to put the, uh, I go to just cover it up because I'm like, oh my God, this light's getting covered. Beer's all over the place. And I go to put the spile in. So I just push the spile back in. Right. And then the tap just rockets into the <laughs> brew house. And I said, oh my God, how am I going to make this happen? So... I wound up getting the spile back in and, uh, you know, after a few hours of degassing and I think several pints that I had to drink and, you know, an ocean of beer on the floor. You saved uh, some of it? Oh, yeah. The firkin was saved. But, yeah, I mean, nice. I probably lost maybe two gallons. It was just basically it was overpressurized. So come the following week, we had firkin number two to come up, which was I knew a bomb waiting to go off. <laughs> go yeah. off. So uh, I degass it. I get, I get the spile in this time. And uh, I used the vented spile instead of the hard spile to just really like let the gas get off. Right. So it would, didn't explode that bad, but there was a customer, uh, group in here enjoying a flight. And all of a sudden, I turn around to pour their flight. and <laughs> <laughs> Number two. But it wasn't as big a geyser and the tap didn't come out. So it wasn't a huge deal. But right. at the end of the day, lesson learned. So we did, uh, we've done a few firkins since then. No, no first explosions as, uh, as I like to first refer explosions. to. First explosions. But... And that's the thing, you know, it's trial and error, I guess, sometimes. You try something different. So I went back to my old method of just adding some priming sugar <laughs> and not adding <laughs> fermenting, you know, because it was like, you know, I crashed the beer for, I don't know, it was crashed for maybe 12 hours, and I pulled, you know, just some, it wasn't, you know how it's not clean, it's just, it's the little yeah. cloudy, had some yeast, so I pulled it, put it in, set it in the brewery, set it in the brewery, let it come up to temp for a couple of days, no. hopefully carbonate, and it just went way over, so... The firkins after we've we've brought all the way down, chilled them, pulled them in, and then just added our seventy grams of priming sugar, and they're done. And we don't have any more first explosions, <laughs> which thank God we don't have anymore because that day was really not a fun day in my life. So you you just expanded, correct? Your expansion, I can see part of it, and and if if you'll let me, I'd love to go check out more. Yeah, we it. can go play. Um, how did that go? First, first explosions? Uh, no first no, explosions, but, but um, similar. I noticed a scratch on one of the tanks back here. I don't yeah, know if that's, that's how you purchased it or bringing it yeah, in. So that's, uh, that's our lovely factory from China that uh, thought <laughs> just bubble packaging would be enough for uh, you know, some very expensive fermentation equipment, which we're, we're, getting, we're getting paid back for. So it's not a big deal. So, yes, the fermenters are scratched. That's because they were loosely dancing, uh, doing, the, doing some twerking all the way over from uh, Beijing. Yeah, it doesn't look too bad. It's not horrible. Um, we've got some plans to cover up the scratches. I mean, I, uh, in all honesty, uh, I don't anticipate these fermenters being here really more than a year. Yeah. I, I right. think uh, so. So just to step back and kind of preface the renovation. So um, our previous setup was pretty homebrewery, I guess would be the word to call right. it. Um, Air cooled fermentation chambers. Pretty similar to a little brewery out uh, in Clarence called West Shore. Yeah. Um, fermentation chambers. You're wheeling basically your fermenters around in and out of it to try and get temperature. Very similar to what you would do with a carboy or a better bottle or anything along those lines. Yeah. Um, so last summer was one of the hottest summers on record. It sucked. It sucked for me too. <laughs> um, we could not maintain a temperature to save our life. So we modified those fermenters and added glycol. But the glycol system was always undersized. Mm -hmm. And our fermentation temperatures were fine, but the crashing was very tough, leading yeah. us to horrible fil ferment or filters 
and just all sorts of issues. So we wound up deciding once we signed with Try It, hey, let's we need to get bigger. It's just it's not it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when are we gonna get bigger. Yeah. And uh we decided, you know, the time was now. Let's you know, as you know, there's a new brewery opening up in Western New York, it seems like every month or every yeah. quarter. And we need to compete. And the only way you can compete is by pushing um, beer out into the marketplace. It's a fantastic quote that I use all the time from my friend Ethan Cox. You know, nano breweries are really just novelties. That's really all they are. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to be a novelty. We want to be at the fingertips of the consumers. I get so pissed off when I walk into a local gas station and I see that local beer shelf yeah. with 12 Gates, Resurgence, Big Ditch, Flying Bison. Like, it drives me nuts. That's what you need to be. You need to be at the fingertips because the percentage of people that care enough to come down to your brewery is so small, it doesn't matter. Yeah. There's so many lazy people out there uh, that you need we're, to be in. We're South Towns people. It's, uh, we never come out to the city. Yeah, or Clarence people or Niagara right? Falls or Lewiston or wherever. And that's fine. That's, that's a beautiful part of the beer culture that dates in Europe to centuries. Every town, every area has its own local brewery. And that's right? great. That's fine. My thing is, is that I don't want to be a novelty. And at two barrels, we were a novelty. At five, we're still kind of a novelty, but we can still push out a shitload of beer. And we never want to be the big ditch or the resurgence or the flying bison. I mean, that's not what we're, we're geared to do. We're, right. we're a single car garage, for those of you that don't know our place. We're, <laughs> we're a single car garage. Um, so we just want to make really good beer on a scale that we can put it in nooks and crannies of western new york and south towns people can get it north towns people can get it you know people in ski country can get it not necessarily saying that i want to be everywhere but i want to you know on draft i want to be a lot of places yeah we're planning to can in in 2018 that's going to be a reality we're going to start doing 16 ounce cans great um and you can't do that on a two barrel system i mean you can but you're you're nuts if you if you (laughs) want to do it i mean really yeah you know, there's a, there's a reason why Anheuser Busch doesn't have a hundred uh, five barrel breweries. You know, they have one right. one fifteen hundred barrel brewery every in every corner of the U.S. or whatever. But yeah. so that's kind of the thing. So so to, to go back to the renovation, it's been a long, slow, much slower than I anticipated. But um, we just gave the green light actually this morning to the brew house. It passed all its tests. It's great. So it's ready to rock and roll. Um, as you walked in, you saw me working on the glycol chiller. So that's the last hurdle. And then we can actually brew beer. Plan is to brew next week. If we can get everything, all the stars aligned with our, uh, with our, uh, with our chiller brew next week. And, you know, brand two brand new beers coming to Buffalo on tap from Buffalo Brewing Company. Nice. Um, but you know, we, we've now geared our brewery to be a smaller version of a professional brewery. It's no longer a home brewery. (laughs) All right, a, a supersized home brewery. <laughs> uh, so you were saying if you if you could go back and talk to yourself, I don't think you'd talk yourself out of it. You said you'd talk yourself out of it. Yeah, probably right now I would, but uh, <laughs> you know, but at least you'd tell yourself, hey, when you did this, that was a stupid decision. Do this instead. Yeah, I mean, we learned a ton of lessons from from what I affectionately call phase one, which was our two barrel brewery. Um, I learned a gr- lot of lessons about making beer commercially. Um, making beer and building because I built both breweries by myself pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I've learned how to build breweries now. So if anyone out there needs a brewery built, give me a call. Consultation, <laughs> right? Sure, consulting. But, um, you know, there's a lot of lessons learned here. And that's the one thing that I think my 
my regular customers have understood is that there's always going to be continuous improvement. We're mm -hmm. always going to strive to make beer better and we're never going to be complacent. I mean, we've gotten some complacency with our 1842 and our 1813, but uh, 1901 and 1817 are under consistent and constant development. How can we make these hop, hopped beers better? How can we make them juicier? How can we make them you know, cleaner ferments, cleaner tasting, but still give you that juiciness that everybody wants and loves right. now with these, I, these friggin' juice bomb IPAs <laughs> that, you know, cost a small fortune to make. And then, you know, you get the guy, oh, this isn't, this isn't as good as, you know, Sloop uh, Juice Bomb, you know. I'm like, dude, just go to Sloop then. I don't know what to tell I don't know what to tell you. Like, sorry you live at 500 Seneca, uh, but Sloop's like five hours away. So why don't you just go there? Or, right? or you know, I'll bring a keg of Sloop in and then you can just pay $13 a glass for it. Whatever you want. I don't, I don't care. But, you know, the end of the day, through our construction, our tank design, our system design, even to our operations in the tasting room and stuff – it's going to get better. 2018 is going to be better because 2017 and half of 2016, we are consistently playing catch up. We can mm -hmm. never make enough beer to satisfy anybody. And that's the worst situation to be in because it makes you lag in all their areas. Right. So I'm constantly brewing because everybody wants more beer. And then it's like, well, oh, we don't have any events scheduled or, oh, hey, we don't have any merchandise or, oh, hey, right. we, you know. Beer Garden's coming in 2018. We got that hurdle crossed off our list nice. in 2017. So we'll have an outdoor space this year. You know, there's only so much you can pack into 1,255 square feet. Yeah. But I think we've packed a lot of stuff in. And I think the experience here has gotten significantly better versus last year. And I don't think it's going to disappoint anybody in 2018 for sure. Excellent. That's about it. Anything else you want to brag about? Um, brag about no, I just uh, I'm really tired. I, I've been working really hard on this renovation, and uh, I hope you guys decide to stop in and see us. Um, we're gonna hopefully have beers, uh, new beers out uh, for the week of Buffalo on Tap. That should be a really fun event. It's yeah. our, it's actually gonna be our first year going to Buffalo on Tap. We didn't we Coming missed out quick. last year. Yeah, uh, it's uh, January thirteenth. Yeah, little plug, but um, and we also have a imperial version of our eighteen thirteen porter. Nice. Um, which is going to be coming out. Uh, it was supposed to be out for tomorrow, which is actually 1813 Porter Day, because on December 30th, 1813, those asshole British Canadians came across the river and burned our city to the ground, which was actually a town. Uh, so you should just come out and just drink a ton of 1813 Porter, because that's what I plan on doing. So um, other than that, thank you guys for your support and have a great rest of your day. If you are looking for more beer podcasts just like the one you're listening to right now, then head on over to hoppedupnetwork.com. We are a podcast network focused on our local craft beer communities. Here's a quick example of one of the many podcasts you will find. Attention fellow beer geeks, check out Drink and Geek Out, the podcast where we drink beer and geek out. The show is half geek chat and half beer reviews, typically reviewing one in beer, a beer from Indiana, an out beer, a beer from somewhere else, and a strange brew, which is a mystery brew where we try to guess the unique flavor. We also do mini episodes that we call light episodes, where we can really geek out on a specific topic and review a beer that is somehow related. Check us out on all the podcast apps or on social media at Drink In Geek Out. Once again, thank you for listening and thank you to John Domries for inviting me down to Buffalo Brewing Company for the talk. And please consider supporting the show. Find out more at wnybrews.com forward slash support. 
And as always, we're reachable on YouTube, wnybrews.com forward slash video. We're at wnybrews on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I have no idea how Instagram works. I'll get it. Don't worry. Check out the rest of the episodes at wnybrews.com and all of the shows at the Hopped Up Network. And thank you to the Rearview Ramblers for the use of their song, You Can't Buy Beer with Condolences. You can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and at rearviewramblers.com. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you in two weeks. Because you can.